Hello, and welcome to What on Earth, the podcast of the Environmental Investigation Agency, or EIA. Wherever you are right now, and wherever you've been for the past seven months, chances are that your life and those of all the people around you have been dramatically affected by the coronavirus pandemic. But while you've been in lockdown, so too have many of the world's environmental criminals. And the latest research from our wildlife investigators suggests that a lot of them have been working from home. I'm Paul Newman, EIA's Press and Communications Officer, and joining me today to discuss these findings is wildlife campaigner Rachel McKenna. Rachel, welcome and thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Hi Paul, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's well documented that transnational wildlife criminals widely rely on shipping and air travel to do their business. So you'd think that anything which reduced international transport systems to a fraction of normal activity would necessarily have a knock-on impact on illegal wildlife trade. Has this actually happened? Well, actually, Paul, our findings indicate that illegal wildlife trade has continued throughout and despite the pandemic. So as you say, wildlife traffickers, they rely heavily on existing international transport and trade infrastructure to conduct their legal businesses. Um, So now what with, you know, the international travel sector in lockdown with passenger flights down by approximately 95% at the height of the first wave of COVID-19, um, wildlife traffickers have had to adapt their, their modus operandi, their ways of operating to adapt to the new normal, in essence. Um, and I think the important thing to stress here is that illegal wildlife trade has, is still a problem, remains a problem even throughout coronavirus, even throughout lockdown. Um, for example, as recently as last week, 626 kilos of ivory were seized in Cameroon coming um, from the border in Gabon. Um, highlighting that traffickers are very much active despite COVID-19 restrictions and travel lockdowns. So your research shows that wildlife trafficking has continued despite the pandemic and and indeed throughout it and and the whole lockdown process of the world. Can can, can you give us some idea how this has actually happened? Um, I mean, how are they actually carrying on working as usual and and what the scale of the legal trade is like in comparison to, say, pre-lockdown levels? Absolutely. So our seizure data shows that there's been quite a significant drop in reported seizures of illegal wildlife um, this year compared with previous years. So between January and July of this year, there were approximately 280 reported seizures worldwide. um, And this involves species such as elephants, so ivory, pangolin scales, leopards and tigers, um, uh, including parts and derivatives such as, you know, skins, teeth, claws, bones, and also of rhino horn. So when you compare that number, 280 reported seizures this uh, between January and July of this year with January and July of last year, where there are a total of approximately 720 seizures, it's clear that COVID-19 lockdown restrictions have impacted um, smuggling uh, dynamics in some way. And of course, the reduction in air passenger and cargo flights will have limited opportunities to smuggle um, via air, but they've also there may also be sorry other explanations for this reduction in reported seizures and what i mean by this um, is that we can't really draw any inferences about the scale of wildlife trafficking from the seizure data that we have to hand alone because a reduction in seizures may simply be due to the fact that there's you know decreased reporting of seizures as agencies at airports um, or at at seaports for example and also media outlets you know they switch their reporting emphasis on covid19 and other issues related to covid19 um, and not illegal wildlife trade so it, this could potentially mean that the actual number of seizures may in fact be higher or that you know the reduction could also be explained by limited capacity and resources on the ground at border points um, to conduct routine checks, meaning that you know goods may still actually be passing through. 
um, and you know they're just passing through undetected. So we don't exactly know, and we can't really draw too many inferences from the seizure data alone, but it is interesting nonetheless to note that there's been such a dramatic difference um, uh, this year as compared with last year. And I think that's important to note because once international flights and the travel industry as a whole picks back up again, um, it's very likely that the transportation of illegal wildlife trade will pick back up again and become easier. And it's really important that we monitor the situation as, as the pandemic invo- evolves, sorry, to, um, to really see how, what the impacts are going to be, what the consequence, consequences are going to be. What kind of illegal trade are we actually looking at in taking place during the lockdown? Is it, is it largely business as usual across the board? You know, the kind of things that we used to look into and see in the press quite regularly? Or are particular species being targeted? Uh, or, or maybe even some of them are actually getting a reprieve from their usual exploitation? I mean, I, I'm thinking particularly... Um, we, EIA ran several stories earlier this year um, based on our research concerning, um, say, for example, certain forms of traditional Chinese medicine using um, in, in endangered species as among their ingredients and, and being pitched specifically as tr- cures for or treatments for the, the, the virus. Um, has this been the case at all or is it still the same species under the same hammer? Well, yeah, so that's interesting. So this is another way in which, you know, COVID-19 has been intersecting with illegal wildlife trade. Um, And as you said, we've previously reported that certain traders have been claiming and promoting baselessly that endangered wildlife such as tiger bone and rhino horn can help to, quote, stay healthy, unquote, um, during the pandemics. And we've We've previously reported that authorities in China have touted bare bile injections as a potential cure for coronavirus. Um, And as you say, it's been covered already in, I think, previous podcasts. So I'd encourage listeners to check that out on our website for more information. Um, But I would stress that there are, you know, our wildlife teams have been looking at data relating to specific species that as an organization EIA works on as part of their campaigns. So it's important to note that COVID-19 may be impacting other endangered species as well that are not necessarily covered in this output. It's just something to bear in mind. But what we can say um, is that demand for species such as tiger, rhino, um, leopard, pangolin and elephants may have remained active during lockdown, during throughout the pandemic, or perhaps even increased. Um, but the, the issue here, the change, is that actual sale transi- transactions may not have been logistically possible to meet this demand during the pandemic. And that's mainly because buyers have not really been able to, you know, to physically travel like you and I haven't been able to travel since I don't know when. Um, <laughs> traffickers wouldn't have been able to travel either um, to Africa or within Asia to conduct their business as usual due to these, relate- these um, uh, COVID-19 related restrictions. So we, we've seen that um, across the Mekong, tiger trade... Um, has continued throughout the pandemic um, and demand for rhino in Asia has also continued. Uh, and we know that rhino horn traders continue to be sourcing, continue to source um, and purchase rhino horn from Central and Southern Africa. Um, and we also know that there have been shipments of ivory as well that have been going out. Um, so it's clear that, you know, it's not necessarily business as usual in terms of the logistics behind the illegal wildlife trade, but the demand is still very much there. So, I mean, just to digress a moment, when you say the demand is there, um, is the poaching carrying on at pre-virus levels and people are simply stockpiling these natural resources in anticipation of being able to resume shipments or is it simply a slowing down of the process between, say, the people that acquire the goods in the field and the you know, the criminals who want to get their hands on them at the other end of the supply chain? Um, is, that, is that a realistic assessment of what's going on or way off? 
I mean, I would say that it's been a bit difficult to come across data on poaching levels. Um, so I would be hesitant to, to, to conclude anything about, you know, whether or not COVID-19 has impacted or increased poaching levels uh, for different species. But what we have seen is that um, there is demand, for example, there are orders that have been put into traders um, from consumers or from um, buyers in Asia for these products. Um, and it's just that they haven't really necessarily think about it this way. They haven't necessarily been able to go out and actually physically pick up their goods. Um, so they've put in the order, they haven't been able to pick up the goods. Um, and we have noticed that stockpiling has also increased. Um, so large quantities of ivory and pangolin um, are being stockpiled by traders um, in Africa mainly um, in anticipation of increased buyer interest, but also buyer mobility once travel restrictions are lifted. I know you and your, your colleagues, um, our colleagues, <laughs> right through AIA, um, have found that obviously the last seven months has been a, a, a particularly massive change in the way that we do our jobs. Um, I think we're, we're fortunate to be in a position that most of our jobs are still able to be done um, remotely and working from home. I mean, for example, I know that a lot of our investigators are having to do, like, if you like, remote um, research from des you know, desktop-based. Um, or working through our partners uh, vicariously in, in the countries we'd normally be in in person. Um, th these kind of serious travel restrictions have obviously made a massive impact on us. What kind of impacts have they meant for the transportation of contraband itself? Um, have, have you, in your research, um, have you found any um, indications that they're changing the way they move stuff around and also the way they do business? Yeah, so definitely. So I just touched upon it in your in your previous question, but I think a major impact of these travel restrictions that we've seen throughout lockdown has been that the majority of Asian buyers who would usually travel to source countries to, to, to buy and to conduct business in person, they've been un unable to do so. And we actually think that a number of these buyers would have actually traveled back home to Vietnam and to China for Lunar New Year in February, um, only to become stuck there when travel restrictions were then introduced. Um, and as a result of this reduced biomobility, we've seen um, a couple of different trends pop up that mark a shift in how you know, wildlife trafficking dynamics have potentially changed during corona coronavirus times. Um, and the main one I would say is that, again, as I just touched on, um, traders in Africa are thought to be stockpiling large quantities of ivory and pangolin scales, indicating that you know, they expect and they're anticipating by interest and, and mobility and capacity to, to, you know, to undertake um, physical transactions to grow again once the restrictions are lifted. Um, and our intel suggests that some traffickers have already begun sending out shipments using the sea route. And this actually leads us to believe that demand for ivory is picking up already and that the logistics are perhaps already falling back into place. Um, but secondly, and this is probably, as you mentioned, the most relatable for us all in these, in these Corona times is that traders in Western Central Africa, as well as in the Mekong region, um, like everyone else around the world these days, we've had to, they've had to adapt to the pandemic to secure buyers. So by that, I mean that we're aware that traders are increasingly working from home, like you and I, <laughs> they're <laughs> using WhatsApp, they're using social media to not only organize and complete their trade deals, because that's in essence, nothing Nothing new. Uh, we know that social media has been used, has you know, been a tool of choice uh, of wildlife traffickers in the past. But what's different now we find is that they are using social media to actively locate and secure new buyers. So up until now, it's been quite unusual to for traffickers in Africa to sell to mainly Vietnamese and Chinese buyers without a meeting in person first. A lot of these transactions are trust based. Um, so essentially what we've seen is that COVID-19 um, travel restrictions have forced traffickers to become more trusting of, you know, unknown online customers if they need, if they're going to pin down any sales during these, during this lockdown. 
Um, I mean, so this just shows how, you know, how flexible criminals can be, even in the face of increased risk, um, and that they will adapt their modus operandi in, in the pursuit of profit in this illegal um, business. And one thing I'd also add here is that working from home in this way for them has, you know, exposed them to a much wider clientele. Um, it means that traders are potentially dealing with more people, uh, a lot more interested buyers, a lot more interested customers than they would have done previously. Um, and this is worrying for obviously for obvious reasons, meaning that where we will be looking at this, we'll be monitoring this to see whether in, there'll be an increase in illegal wildlife trade once Corona settles down a bit. Um, and, you know, because this is going to have an associated impact on endanger on the pressures that endangered species will be facing. So it's something that we will need to keep an eye on. Um, but lastly, um, a third trend I think that we spotted from our data is that there's been logistical difficulties in, you know, shipping out large quantities of wildlife contraband. So one thing to note is that organized wildlife traffickers, they will, a lot of the time, especially for ivory and pangolin, they will opt to send out large shipments um, of, of contraband rather than smaller shipments here and there for various reasons, mainly financial. Um, but now that's proven difficult. Um, and traffickers, we've noted, are starting to opt to use courier services to shuttle smaller quantities of ivory um, to Asia from Africa. And again, this is highlighting that they're willing to adapt to the new normal. And it also clearly shows that there's, there is clearly a demand still for ivory um, on the destination side in, in Asia. Would these be um, commercially um, legal um, courier service? So are we, are we talking about courier services as in someone acting as a courier, but not legitimately? Well, exactly. So I'm, what I mean by that is um, established courier companies, um, which obviously I don't think we can name. Um, yeah, understandably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not at this point, anyway. Not at this point, no. But um, that's, so yeah, they're using, again, it just goes to show that traffickers make use of established means of trade um, and of communication and travel in pre-lockdown days. Um, so it's something definitely that's quite worrying and we will be keeping an eye on. And, I, and I'm guessing, and this is purely supposition, feel free to obviously tell me I'm totally wrong, but if, if they're using courier services in a, in a way that they haven't been using them in the past, would the assumption there be that the courier services aren't exactly on the ball at knowing what to look for? Um, it, it's, if they're suddenly becoming a, a significant conduit for illegal wildlife products, um, would they not necessarily be versed enough in, in what to look for to actually identify it? Well, there is that. Um, I mean, I think it would be unfair to state that all courier services are unaware um, of their responsibilities in this in this respect. But I think um, there are fewer, um, I think, checks in place um, in with uh, within the courier service industry than there are, for example, um, at airports or at ports. So I think there's also the, the possibility that you know smaller quantities can get through easier using courier services. Okay, so maybe we're going to have to start naming some of them down the line. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, moving on, up to, and, and corruption, as you know, is a cornerstone of the illegal wildlife trade everywhere. It's one of the key side effects of it and, and one of the things that helps drive it. Has this recent research suggested there's been any change in that respect? Obviously, the, the structures of, of societies internationally have changed in the and the people you would need to pay off once upon a time, maybe you don't need to pay off now. I mean, have you noticed anything like that? Um, or, or is it otherwise still business as usual? So short answer would be corruption is very much still present, um, even during COVID-19 times. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's interesting. It's important here to flag that, you know, a major component of EIA's work throughout the years and throughout the different campaigns has been to highlight, you know, how, how devastating corruption can be in facilitating illegal wildlife trade um, and other forms of environmental crime, of course. 
Um, and corruption plays a role at each stage of the illegal trade chain. So this could be anything from poaching to the transportation, to the processing, to the export and sale of illegal wildlife contraband. So, I mean, what I've tried to demonstrate up until now is that COVID-19 has altered certain dynamics of illegal wildlife trade, um, perhaps temporarily. I mean, I think it's a bit too soon to tell um, how long lasting these impacts will, will, will be. But one thing that hasn't changed during Corona times, and we can comfortably say that this is a, very much still a feature of um, illegal wildlife trade um, in 2020, is that lockdown and corruption um, still very much go hand in hand. <laughs> and if anything, wildlife traffickers are actually making more use of corruption because they need they need they need extra support to ship out their goods. They need extra support from the corrupt um, officers at ports, at airports, or at land borders to do so. And we know, for example, that um, though some traffickers have faced increased logistical issues to transport their goods, we also know that some, um, you know, are even more willing to engage with port staff who are more willing to take bribes now during Corona times because of the economic hardships imposed on them by by, by Corona lockdown. Um, and our intelligence suggests that the only thing that perhaps may have changed um, with regards to corruption um, facilitating legal wildlife trade during Corona is that it may have changed the speed at which corruption can facilitate illegal transactions. So if that makes sense, it basically means that there may be fewer staff physically present in offices or at ports or at sites, at land borders, because of lockdown, just like you and I were working from home. A lot of mm. people have orders to lock, be locked down and working from home as well. Um, so it may be that illegal wildlife transactions are happening at a slower rate than usual, but they are very much still happening and corruption is still very much pivotal um, in, in facilitating these illegal transactions. Okay. Um, finally, um, look into a future when the world emerges from this pandemic and I do hope it's sooner rather than later. Um, do you anticipate any long-term changes in the way that wildlife crime will be conducted going forward beyond that? I know you mentioned earlier um, that you see um, working from home and the different ways of doing things and using um, um, shipping services as a sort of a, a stopgap throughout the rest of the, of the pandemic. Do you, do you imagine that when, when it's all over or it begins to go back to a new normality, we're going to find the old ways working hand in hand with the new ways they've discovered? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, but one thing I would caveat is that, you know, as we've all come to understand, this COVID-19 situation is so fast moving and it's it's quite uncertain. So I don't think we can really draw any concrete conclusions yet um, as to the long lasting changes that Corona may have brought about on illegal wildlife trade. But what I will say is that, you know, given the intelligence that we do have, um, mainly relating to the fact that traffickers have continued to stockpile large quantities of, of ivory and pangolin, um, we must be vigilant about a potential uptick in illegal wildlife trade once restrictions are lifted worldwide, once borders are fully open, and once it becomes, in essence, logistically easier to conduct illegal business. Um, and I think similarly, the team at EIA is quite concerned to note that working from home, as I said, would have potentially expanded traffickers' customer base, and the risk of increased future sales is therefore real. Um, so I think when you mentioned whether, you know, these new changes will play hand in hand with, um, how traffickers, you know, once upon a time used to operate, um, pre COVID, I think we will see maybe a shift to online, uh, platforms more and more. And this mainly because, you know, it exposes them to a wider clientele, as I keep saying. Um, and I think this is, unless, you know, 
authorities and relevant agencies take a proactive approach and monitor the situation as the pandemic evolves and as restrictions are eased. Um, this is endangered species really will continue to face pressures from poaching and trafficking in this in this regard. Okay, well, sobering stuff indeed. Rachel, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing the um, the, the findings of your research. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a delight. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, uh, please watch this space for future episodes and check out our website at eia-international.org to find out more about our work. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today and wherever you are, stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.